Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Well, today we're stepping into part two of a series that we began last week called Welcomed In. And we began the series last week with kind of the reality that all of us have had a moment or a season in life where we felt unwelcomed, where we felt left on the outside or rejected um, or unwanted. Maybe for some of you, you remember all the way back to junior high or high school, or maybe you got left out of a friend group and you still remember that in your journey. Or maybe for some of you, later on in life, you remember when you didn't get the job that you thought that you were going to get or that you wanted so bad, and you remember that feeling of rejection. Maybe for some of you, it was a feeling of rejection or abandonment by your family uh, at some point in your life, or maybe you've been through the heartache or the pain of separation and divorce that so many have walked through. You know, we've all been through, maybe it's a moment or maybe it was a season where we felt unwelcomed. We felt left out on the outside. So during this series, we're walking through Ephesians chapter 2, which really gives some of the most hope-filled words in all of Scripture to tell us that we've actually all been issued an invitation to be welcomed in. All of us have been offered that invitation that despite what the world says and despite what that moment may have looked like where you got left out by someone else or by others around you, man, God in his grace is a good dad, loves to welcome us in by his grace. So if you have a copy of scripture, Ephesians chapter two is where we're gonna be this morning. That's where we're hanging out all during this Welcome to End series. So I'd love for you to flip with me, whether you have a hard copy or digital copy of scripture to Ephesians chapter two. Um, Last week, if you weren't here, we covered the first five verses, verses one through five of Ephesians 2, and we looked at the topic that we have been welcomed in from death, that we were spiritually dead apart from Christ, but man, God in his great love for us raised us up to life with him. And so today we're going to pick up and go verses six through 10 as we continue to look at these just words of hope from God to us um, that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus some thousands of years ago, but yet they still have relevancy for us today on Mother's Day 2018. So go with me, Ephesians chapter two, and we'll put the verses on the screen as we follow along. We'll start in verse six. This is what Paul writes. He says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So Paul starts verse 6 really with a reminder that we left off with from last week that when we all enter the world, we all enter with this spiritual identity of dead. That we in our spiritual life are dead. We're apart from Christ. We're unable to have a relationship with him. And we can't gain rights to that back in our own work and doing. And last week we acknowledged that we've all been there. We've all been in that dead place. And Paul defined it last week for where it practically plays itself out in our life is when we chase the ways of the world and we chase the cravings of our flesh. All of that leads us away from the design of God and leaves us spiritually dead. And that's where we saw that we are last week. However, Paul here says that the invitation that God offers anyone who would surrender and trust and choose a relationship with him, in verse 6 he says that he raises them up and seats them with him in the heavenly realms. Now what an incredible picture of God's great love for you, for me, that he would take us from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs, that he would not just pull us out of that dead, broken place of life, but then verse six says, but that he would literally seat us with him in the heavenly realms, from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. Um, There are some times where I think back 
when my son was a little bit younger, and now even every once in a while, now that he's older, when he'll walk over to me in the den, and I'll be sitting in the recliner, maybe watching a ball game or something, and he walks over and he goes, hey, daddy, can I get up there and sit with you? And as a dad, man, you can't turn that down. It's like, absolutely, buddy. Like, we'll figure out how to get both of us in this chair. You come on up here. And so, man, he climbs up in the chair with me, and we'll maybe watch the game together or sit there and talk for a little bit. Maybe you've experienced that joy before, right, of maybe your grandkid or your child kind of hopping up in the chair with you as a grandparent, as a parent. Why, why, why do our kids do that? Because, it, because it's in that place that they feel safe. It's in that place that they feel secure and provided for and welcomed. And this is what Paul's saying to us here in Ephesians 2, is that for all of us, God has issued this invitation as a good heavenly father to welcome us in. But here's the the change. He says, but it's not by our asking, it's by God's initiation. That God is a really good dad who would love you even in a broken place, would pull you out of death, and who would seat you with him in the heavenly realms to know the promises and provision and protection of walking with him. And then go back to verse 7, Paul continues and he writes this. He says that God raised us up with Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So Paul's just further explaining God's word to say that God raises us up to show the ages to come the power of his grace. The power of His grace. You see, we could say, we could probably argue today that grace is perhaps the most beautiful, perhaps the most powerful word in all of Scripture. The story is told of the uh, late Billy Graham, the evangelist, many call America's pastor, that when Billy Graham decades ago was traveling through a small country town, preaching from church to church, that he was pulled over by a cop on the side of the road. And he was pulled over for speeding and the cop walked up and says, Mr. Graham, you were going a little bit fast. And he said, well, I agree with you. You're right. I'm guilty. And so he wrote him a ticket. He said, but you still got to go to court. And so Billy Graham goes to court and this judge at this small country court says, sir, how do you plead? And he says, well, I I plead guilty. I was speeding. And he said, okay, well, then you're going to owe a dollar for every mile per hour that you go over, that you were going over the speed limit. Some of you wish your last ticket was just a dollar per mile an hour, all right? And he says, you're going to owe a dollar for every mile an hour that you were over the speed limit. Mr. Graham says, yes, sir. But about that time, this, this old country judge figured out who this guy was that he was talking to. This is Billy Graham who preached all the way around the world. And he says, Mr. Graham, he says, you're guilty. You went over the limit and there's a fee that has to be paid, but I'm going to pay that fee for you. And that judge pulled out his own wallet, pulled out his own $10 bill, took his $10 and he attached it to the ticket and he marked it as paid. And then he took Billy Graham out for a steak dinner and bought it for him. And so people asked Billy Graham about that moment later. And he said, you know what? He says, that's the picture of God's grace. Getting what we don't deserve. And verse 7 that Paul just wrote, he says that God raises us up in Christ so that in the coming ages, so that even in this day, he might show the incomparable riches, I love that word, riches of his grace. In other words, Jesus, in his love for us through the cross, that he took us from dead and broke to alive and rich. So today, if you walk in a relationship with Christ, then you can't claim to be broke. Now, I realize that the bank account may not be as deep as you want it to be, okay? But God in His graciousness to us gave us the incomparable riches, Paul says, of grace. 
So let me ask you this question. Would you rather be earthly rich and eternally broke, or would you rather be possibly earthly broke, but yet eternally rich? I don't know about you, but man, I'm, I'm going for the loaded eternal count every time. And Paul says that's the hope, that's the picture of God's grace to us, that he transfers grace, the incomparable riches, into our account. However, I think that sometimes it's often hard for us to understand the the richness of grace because we fail to really realize the brokenness, if you will, of sin. We miss the richness of grace because we've never fully grasped the brokenness of our sin. But but Paul would write this, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Look at what Paul writes. He says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, His kindness, His forbearance, His patience, not realizing... That God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. In other words, God has offered to us this incomparable riches through Jesus. And scripture says this, that he waits patiently for you to trust him. See, the question today, church, is not, is God good? We ask that question. But the question today is not, is God good? The question today is, do we recognize the extent of the goodness he's expressed to us through his grace? See, so many times we can get so narrow-minded on our our present earthly situation or our circumstance that seems so overwhelming and we miss the big picture that God has extended to us incomparable riches of grace that we could not earn on our own. See, what I know is that some of you today, in your journey of life, you've been down some long, dark roads. And maybe many of those led to dead ends. Perhaps for some of you recently, perhaps for some of you in the past. And you've been down some dead-end roads that have caused you to be in a place of brokenness, in a place of depression, in a place of being lost, in a place of questioning your purpose. Maybe for some of you in a place of questioning, can I even go on? But what Romans chapter 2 tells us today is Paul says what we just read a moment ago, is that in that moment, you're still here. Because God was showing you the incomparable riches of His grace by being patient with you. That He would not give up on you. That He would not turn His back on you. But in those moments, He was walking with you. In fact, He was carrying you in His patience, in His forbearance, in His kindness. So that you would come to that place of realizing that this world and nothing of this world can fully and finally satisfy that void in your life that is only fully and finally satisfied in the grace and the love and the relationship with Jesus. Go back with me to Ephesians 2. Pick up in verse 8, verse 9, perhaps the most familiar verses in this whole chapter. And here's what Paul writes. He says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Paul just continues here. He's pointing to the power of grace, grace, grace. And he writes this. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, we love the word grace in our Bible Belt culture because we like to paint it on a canvas and hang it on the wall or put it on the jewelry and hang it around our neck or we paint it on the shirt. And those are all great things. But here's what Paul's saying here. Grace is literally the saving force in our lives. I've heard it said that grace is God's best idea. Grace is God's best idea. And here's what I want you to grasp today about this nature and the character of grace. Grace frees us, grace frees us from the weight of having to work our way to God. And grace frees us from the idea that we've worked our way too far from God. 
See, for some of you today, maybe you've bought into that mindset somewhere along the way that like, man, you've, you've got to do enough good things by our culture standards that maybe God in that would, would start to love you or maybe that you could activate his love to really love you more. And so you think, well, if I could, we could just have perfect church attendance, we, we could be there really consistently, if I, make sure we pray before the meals, okay, and we read our Bible every once in a while, and, and if I get the, you know, if I could kind of drop that cussing habit that I got and get the kids to start minding their manners, that somehow another attempt to all these things that God will somehow just, w- w- he would move his love towards us, or that he would increase his love for you. But again here, grace says, these are all great things, but grace says you can't work your way into God's love. We can't. Now, some of you are in that camp. Some of you, maybe you've fallen victim to this other idea of believing the mindset that you've worked your way too far from the love of God. Maybe it was that decision that you made back in high school or college that still marks you. Maybe it was that that season of shame and rebellion that you know you ran in. Maybe it's some things that you even did last week. There's that scar and that mistake that still marks your life that you think about every day. You see, and we can begin to believe that that failure and that mistake marked our life in such a way that there's no way that a holy and perfect God would ever pursue us, that he would never love us. But you know what grace says? Grace says that God's love knows no limits, that it knows no limits. You see, grace, this incredible idea that God extends to us, grace says that we can't work our way to God, and it dispels the idea that we can work our way too far from God. You see, grace is good news for the worker, and it's good news for the wayward. It's good news for the religious, and it's good news for the rebellious. And Paul says it's by grace, literally, that we have been saved. And Paul, he stresses this even more in this phrase there in verses 8 and 9. He says, this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not from yourselves. Gift of God. Now, parents, think with me for a second, okay? How many of you, when your kid has a birthday, Maybe they're smaller, junior high age. You have the birthday party and the kids are there and you give them a present. And you're like, listen, I want you to have this present. I know today's your birthday, but you, man, you've been doing a great job of all your chores. Like you, you've been washing the dishes. Okay, there was that one time, there was that one dish, but like, okay, we worked through that. And then like, you've been, you've been helping with the laundry. You've done a lot of laundry over the last 12 months, okay, as you've grown up to this new age. And, and you've been, you cut the grass a couple of times. I mean, come on, like it's been really, really good. Okay, and so because you've done all these things, Happy birthday. Okay, parents, how many of you are doing that? If you are, don't raise your hand. Okay, don't raise your hand. Get counseling is what you do, all right? Listen to me. That's not what what we give the present, right? We don't give the present because of behavior. We give the gift because of love. And Paul says here in Ephesians 2, I mean, that's, that's the gift of grace. That's the gift of salvation. It's not by what we have done. It's not by our acts, but it's because we have a good dad who's rooted in love for you. And despite the failure, despite the good intentions that you thought could get your way to God, God extends grace to us. It is a gift of God. And then verse 9 says, it is not by works. It's not by works. In other words, we're not going to take our last breath here and step into eternity before God is creator and judge and have God look at us and go, man, welcome in. Uh, I, I, you punched your ticket when you finally landed that job. Or welcome in, like I couldn't, I couldn't not claim you whenever you stopped all those bad habits that you were doing. Like that, that, was, that was the piece. Or, hey, welcome in. I couldn't help but loved you when you stopped cussing and got the family back in church. Like that was it. When you did that, oh man, it, I had to love you. No, 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 it's, it's not by works, it's the gift of God. God the Father only says welcome in 
when there's a, a faith, trust, surrender, letting go of who I was, realizing my way's not best, my plans aren't best, but God, it's your promises and your plans and your purpose for my life, and so I trust you. It's in that giving up and trusting that grace wraps us up and welcomes us in. Christian writer and thinker Paul Tripp said it this way, since sin is deeper than bad behavior, trying to do better isn't a solution. Only grace that changes the heart can rescue us. Love that verse nine closes by saying, so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. Grace comes in such a way so that no one can boast. At our core, we are, we are a boastful people, are we not? Right? Or you see my new truck? All right, you got the big tires, okay? Or, hey, have y'all seen the new dress, the new outfit I got? Or the fellows are like, man, you see the size of that deer? I know what you got, but man, look at this right here, okay? Or, hey, what about that award I got? Did y'all see that? We make that post. Okay, like last week, my son, he got a really great hit baseball game. He got a home run. It was good. Mom and daddy were really proud, okay? But if you talk to him literally for more than five seconds, he's probably told you about it, all right? Just give us grace. We're still working on the humility part, okay? We're getting there. We're going up in that. But here's the deal. Why does that come out of him? Because he's got that five-year-old flesh in him that defaults to what? Look at me. See, the, the definition of boasting is this right here. It's to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. In other words, boasting by nature is me-centered. That's what boasting is. Hey, look at me. And God says here, salvation has nothing to do with our ability to get to God, but it has everything to do with God's ability to get to us. Remember who we are, right, from the beginning? We're dead. And think about this. Dead people have zero ability to get themselves out of the grave. But yet it's God's grace that is the resurrecting power that welcomes us into life and relationship with Him. But I wish I had a nickel for every time in my role I get a chance to ask a lot of people, man, about their spiritual journey. And, and I wish I had a nickel for every time I ask somebody, hey, tell me about how do you know that you're, you have a relationship with Christ? How do you know that, that you're a Christian? How do you know that you're walking in Christ? And 95% of the time, the answer goes something like this. Well, because I, I grew up in this such and such church, or I go to this church, or I, man, I grew up in a Christian household. Mama was a Sunday school teacher and daddy was a deacon, all right? Or I went to kids camp and youth camp and BBS and summer camp, any other camp they had, I'm in. Granddaddy was a pastor, or I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to live a pretty good life, and in the most graceful pastoral way, I want to look at him and go, no, 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 because you know what all those answers started with? I, and Paul says in Ephesians 2, it's not I, I can't raise dead self to life, but man, when Jesus in his grace gets a hold of me, he can do something that I cannot do, and he in his undeserved gift to me he takes my dead heart and he raises it to life and he gives me a new name and a new identity in him. And he makes me new. He found me. He rescued me. He saved me. And he welcomed me in. Look at these words in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. This is so good. It says, he has saved us. God has saved us. And he's called us to a holy life. Check this out. Not because of anything we have done. That's good news today for the worker and the wayward. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That church, that's how we know that we're in Christ. His calling, his grace, his rescue. 
We're going to see one final verse in our passage today. Verse 10, Ephesians 2. Look at it with me. It says, for, for we are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love the uh, imagery there that Paul starts with. Verse 10, he says, we're God's handiwork. That, that word handiwork, what he's literally trying to translate for us there is that we are God's work of art. That we're God's work of art. In other words, God takes us from, from dead and broke and a mess in sin, and then he raises us to a new life of a masterpiece of his grace. Isn't that good? From mess to masterpiece, all because of God's grace. In other words, I don't know what you rolled in with today, how bad and ugly and scarred and broken your story may be. But God says today, like, no, 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 because of grace, you're my work of art in Christ. You're my, you're my handiwork. I would view you and call you my masterpiece. Maybe for others of us in the room who maybe you followed the cravings of your flesh or the ways of the world, and man, it's been a pursuit of identity in, in more stuff or position or power or possessions. And, and if you could get those things, the pleasures that would fulfill me, but again, Paul says, no, 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 when, when there's that surrender and grace gets a hold of you, that God calls you, even in all those pursuits that we've had, he calls you his masterpiece. He says, that's my unique loved possession. That's my work of art. God longs to take every single one of us, every single person from, from the mess of sin that we walked ourselves into to a masterpiece of grace. And here's the cool part. He does it in such a way that it's a gift. That we can't go, look at me, look at me, look at what I did. But it only goes credit, it only gives glory, the scripture would say, to the God who redeems, the God who restores, the God who takes messes and moves them to masterpieces. You know, so much hope to know that today, to know that we have been, that we can be welcomed in by grace. Like that's good news for everybody in the room today, whether you're the worker or the wayward. Good, okay? But we can't miss, there's one more phrase in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 Here's what it says. Paul writes, writes this. He says, we were, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, Paul made it clear. We just read it, verses 8 and 9, that grace and salvation are not a result of our works, that we can't earn it. We can't do enough good things. We don't have it in us. But here, just one verse later, one verse later, Paul says, we were created for works. Now, is Paul contradicting himself? Has he kind of lost sight of what he just said? No, of course not. Here's what Paul's communicating. Paul's telling us and pointing us to the truth that grace not only calls us to life, but grace also calls us to action. Grace not only calls us to life, but grace also calls us to action, to a relationship. See, God's grace, it meets us where we are in the mess. That's good news today. But when we receive it, it always takes us to where we should be going, the mission. To grace in a, in a full compassing way moves us from mess to masterpiece to the mission of God. The grace of God that saves our soul should also change our life. True grace will always move us to action. It's not punch the ticket and I'm done, but there's a relationship that I'm being called to. And I want you to see what does James write later in the New Testament, James chapter 2. He's going to say this about faith. So I want to encompass faith and grace together. James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, claims to have grace, but has no deeds? Can such faith really save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
So if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, or as we say today, I pray for you, and then we don't, all right? But does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Verse 17, look at it. In the same way, faith or grace by itself, if it is, a, if it is not accompanied by action, is, what does it say? Dead. It's dead. So the great contradiction for us today as the church would be that we would say, man, I'm living in grace. Praise God for grace. I'm living a life redeemed because of God's grace. But yet nothing in our life would be different than the ways of the world. Nothing in our life would be different than the old us that grace redeemed us from. That we would refuse the call to walk with generosity that we would reject God's calling on us to, to serve other people with our time and energy and our resources, that we would deny the, the command of Jesus to walk with compassion and forgiveness in our relationships, that nothing in us would be different in our actions, in our words, in our home, in our workplace, in our school, in our social circles. See, the great, the great contradiction today would be to claim to have grace, to live in grace, to walk in grace, to be thankful for grace, but yet not to have any fruit of grace in our life. James said it a second ago. He says, faith and grace without actions is dead. So what Paul's trying to help us understand here is good works are not the avenue to salvation, but good works are the evidence that grace has done something in here, that you look different, that you act different. So here's my question today. Mom, dad, high school student, single parent, I mean, where are you in that story of grace. Where are you in that story of grace? Maybe for some of you today, maybe you're trying to work your way back to God through, through a list of religious routines or checking off the boxes. Maybe that's part of why you're here today. And you just think, man, if I, if I can do enough good things, that there could be enough good merit in my life, then maybe God will love me or maybe he'll love me more. But listen to me today. Grace says it's not based on your work but it's based on the work that Jesus already did for you, that it's done. Maybe for some of you today, you're in the story of grace and you bought into that idea that you've worked your way too far from God. That shame, that guilt, that regret that you carry that's so real, that marks your life every day. There's no way that a perfect God would ever pursue and chase that. But again, today grace says that God's love knows no limits, that his grace knows no bounds. Or maybe for some of you today, you would claim to be a follower of Jesus. Man, you're like, I'm in grace. Yeah, I could, I could point to that moment where Jesus changed my heart. But if you got real honest today, your attitudes and your actions and your life doesn't reflect the fruit of grace. If someone was to learn about grace through the way that you lived and the way that you demonstrated that to others, they wouldn't have a very accurate picture. So where are you today in the story of grace? See, the goal today is that we would all find grace that we would all choose grace, that we would all learn to walk in grace, grace that gives rest to the worker, grace that gives hope to the wayward, and grace that reminds us that we've all been given a life-changing, eternity-altering invitation to be welcomed in by a very grace-filled God. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.